Okay, you're talking, but the children are coming forward from about four years old and up. Okay. All right, come on up. You guys can sit on the steps if you want. Hi, Hello. Good to be on the stage. Very cool. Good. Oh, watch your Good morning, everybody. And happy Easter. I think you guys all need to look out at the church and say as loud as you can, Happy Easter. Ready? One, two, one, two, three. Happy Easter. That was my fault. I did not say on the count of three. So those are mine. Thank you. All right. So um, has anybody done an Easter egg hunt today or is planning to do one? Anybody? Awesome. What do you guys usually find in your eggs? Candy. Anything else? Money. Well, I want to go to your house. Okay. Anybody else? What do you have, Oliver? Money. Okay. So lots of, lots of good, fun things, right? So today I brought in some special Easter eggs to help us learn more about the story of Easter. So can I get a volunteer to open our very first egg? Let's see. There you go. All right. Tell us what is inside. There's a cross. A cross. All right, do you want to pass that around so people can touch it? So these Easter eggs are going to help us um, remember the story of Easter. So the cross reminds us that on Friday we remembered um, that Jesus was uh, sentenced to death and that he had to carry his cross and be nailed to the cross. And he died there and took all of our sins, all the things that we've done wrong and have ever done wrong, ever will do wrong, on himself. But do you guys think the story ended there? With Jesus dying on the cross? Let's see. Who wants to open egg number two? Okay. Um, Gracie. Can you tell us what's inside? Uh, a rock. It's a rock, yeah, or a stone. Yeah, do you want to pass that around to everybody? So, um, so after Jesus died on the cross, he was put into a tomb. He was buried there. That's what we do with dead people, right? We bury them. And then they took a big stone and rolled it in front of the tomb to seal it shut. But do you guys think that was the end of the story? No. Okay, we have one last egg. Okay. Let's see. All right. I think somebody over here, do you want to open this one? There you go. There's nothing in there. Oh, no. What happened? Just kidding. That was planned. So this egg is empty to remind us that on Easter morning, two women who were friends of Jesus went to go visit his tomb. And guess what? That giant stone that was there had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. What do you think had happened? What happened to Jesus' body? Yeah, Jesus had risen from the dead. He had come back to life. Yay! So, and this is the best news. This is what we celebrate on Easter. And because the tomb was empty that morning, and because later um, Jesus appeared to those women and his disciples and hundreds of other people before he went back up to heaven, because of that, everything changes, doesn't it? 
Because of that, we know that there is nothing that our God can't do. That Jesus beat sin, he beat death, and because of that, we can celebrate every day that we have new life in him, and that if we believe in him, we get to, to have eternal life and be in heaven forever with God. All right, so that's something to celebrate, don't you guys think? Yeah, all right, so let's say a prayer together, and then we'll go back to our parents. All right, let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Dear God, thank you so much that you loved us enough to send your son to die in our place, um, and that in him we have new life, that we have hope, that we can have eternal life with you. Um, help us to celebrate well and remember that well today and every day of our lives. Amen. All right. So do you guys know what we say on Easter? If somebody says, he is risen, what do you say? He is risen indeed. Ready? Let's all do it together. He is risen. Very good. You can go back to your parents. Thanks, guys. Yes, you can keep your eggs. Thank you, Katie. Um, We only have Katie about three more Sundays, so make sure you uh, tell her to stay. (laughs) That husband ain't that great, you know, uh, back in the Midwest. No, but uh, she leaves first Sunday in uh, May to be married. Well, I don't know what your plans are for August, but it's not too early to make them. In fact, You have to plan August fairly carefully, parents, because if you use public school, you've only got to about the 18th, 19th, or 20th to get them there. So you have to make plans. And make sure that as you make plans, you're thinking, well, okay, uh, some of you are waiting for that day. I understand that um, as the day comes. But here at Bergen Park Church, we're talking about does... Easter have any effect on us, not just in April, but in August, too. We go around and we talk about the Lord is risen. And the unfortunate thing about Easter in the United States is it's only a one day, one Sunday morning sort of event. Christmas gets a whole month and the whole economy depends upon it. There's a holiday. If, East, if Christmas falls on a Sunday, you're going to get Monday off all day, all day off, uh, because it is a national holiday. Easter, it's focused more and, and connected more to the, uh, uh, to the Passover for the Jews because it occurred during a Passover season. Uh, we, 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 we invest a couple of hours on Sunday morning. We probably see family and friends or go out to a brunch or something like that. And then it's over. You do not even get that extra day off. That's why for the next two weeks, Gary McNally starts it next week, we're going to explore Easter even more. Hey, it's good enough for three Sundays. I want to say that. Now, he rose. We commemorate that today. But for the next three Sundays, we want to look at more of the implications. Because there is so much to explore. We understand that there are implications of the resurrection for all of humanity in general. But there are also transformation possibilities for you in particular. 
When we talk about Easter, it's almost like talking about a fish out of water. I am told, again, fish have brains that, you know, about that size, and I'm told they don't communicate well, but I am told that fish don't understand that they live in water. It's the only environment they know, so they can't distinguish between water and anything else. That's, that's the entire universe for them. But if you are unlike me and you happen to catch some fish uh, and you pull it out of water, you'll notice that fish does not like being out of the water. In fact, it jumps, it squiggles, it wriggles, it does everything it possibly can to get back into the environment that he, she, or it is used to. We, as we approach Easter and we talk about the resurrection, we understand that we are entering into, I guess, what I call an out-of-the-water experience. You see, we bring in something that's beyond the physical. We talk about things that are, that, that are more important and, 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 and deeper meanings than, let's say, uh, the things of the earth, food, clothing, security, housing, finances, or your relationships. Easter will be making some very uncomfortable because they are fish out of water. What do I mean by that? Well, once I heard, how dare you get religious with me on Easter? What? What? Why, why would there be an Easter if we can't get religious with you? Uh, but for some, it's not just uncomfortable. For some, we understand we live in a physical world and you bring in transcendence. And there's nothing in my experience, not much, uh, n- nothing in my education that can bring me into a transcendent understanding of the universe. So let me give you a statement that I want you to take with you for the rest of your time together today. That you begin to look at Easter as more than just a two-hour experience on another busy day. But instead, you look at Easter as a demonstration of God's power to raise the dead. And God's love, he did it for a purpose, for a human purpose. And therefore, we can look at Easter just as relevant in August as we do in April. But it all depends really on how you answer this question And it has two possible answers. The question is, what if? What if? I'm going to put it another way. What if the tomb is not empty and Jesus is not alive? What if the tomb is not empty and Jesus is still dead? Let me ask it the other way. And what if the tomb is empty? And Jesus is alive. How you answer that question can determine how you're going to be spending August in one way or another. Or the effect that the resurrection can have upon you. What if? And understand that we're talking about not just an event of history, but a life-shaping process that can be going on. So that there's even a deeper effect in your life of the resurrection in August. Even more so than it is today in April. So let's let, let me play devil's advocate here. Let me assume or bring up the uh, the possibility that the tomb is not empty and Jesus is dead. He's still there. We don't know where it is. We've looked, you know, but believe me, we, we can't find it. But let's say the tomb is not empty and Jesus is dead. You have just wasted a couple hours of your life and a clean shirt or a dress. And this assertion 
understand has been made since even the days of Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead that first Easter, and, 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 and the women who went to the tomb to prepare his body discovered that it was empty, they, they ran and they told the disciples. And the disciples basically said, don't worry in my grief. I'm grieving for Jesus. Leave me alone. They could not absorb it. They could not understand it. They, they could not apply it, even though they know that Jesus had told them this uh, from the beginning of, of choosing his disciples. But every generation will be asking the same question. What if the tomb is empty and Jesus is dead? And because we assume this is the way the world works. The tomb, I'm sorry, the tomb is not empty. So, uh, about 20 years later, after Jesus' resurrection, some people who claimed to be followers of Christ were saying the same thing. They were saying, well, you know, I, we're just not sure that's possible. They were a group of Christ followers in a very commercial and, and very uh, worldly city called uh, Corinth. And they were saying this and asking this same question uh, two decades later. And Paul writes to them, and he says this, I begin at 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we hope in Christ we are to be pitied more than all men. What are the implications? Apply logic. If the tomb is not empty and Jesus is dead, where does it lead us to? The Christian faith is a fraud. Simple as that. The foundation of our, uh, 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 of our faith is just fraudulent. It's the fact that, you know, we, we, we say we're Christians. We have a faith. But it's like if the tomb is not empty, we are a shell without a core. We are a religious system with a human founder that, is, that people are calling an imposter. The second thing is that the Bible is a deception. In the Old Testament, the Bible is looking forward to the Messiah's coming. In the New Testament, it relies upon his resurrection as both factual and effectual. There's power involved there. Thirdly, heaven is a myth. If Christ has not been risen, then we understand that there's no reason to believe that there is a heavenly or eternal existence. Claims for eternal life and a perfected humanity living in the presence of God is just a pipe dream. It'd be better to believe in the humanistic approach where we are desiring on this earth a utopian society. How's humanity doing at that? Paul puts it well when he says, if Christ is not risen, you won't rise either. And finally, Christians are pathetic fools. 
Now, I've been called a pathetic fool for believing. Uh, I don't take it well when it's said that way. But uh, I like being challenged for my faith. But when somebody himself says we are to be pitied among all people, what Paul is getting at is that, you know, why pray? Why worship? Why give? Why invest in personal spiritual growth or the growth of another person? Why attend classes? Why read books? Why study the Bible? Why try to become more like Jesus with greater fervency if it is all a lie? You are wasting your time and you have deceived yourselves. And Paul even says another way at the end of this chapter, he says, and for us, why do we endanger our lives every hour? Why do we go out there and go from city after city after city and endure all the hardships if Christ is not risen? Why not instead go to the logical conclusion that we live for ourselves or any of the uh, any other people who will live with me in my narcissistic nature, just live for this own little group, seek pleasure with no limits because we're going to die soon anyway. All this because we say, or some say, the tomb is not empty and Jesus is dead. And you have just given about two hours of your life that you will never get back. They're mine. All mine. The other way to answer the question, what if the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive? Let me read verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits meaning the first peach you pick in August. It comes out so beautiful and so juicy and you know that all the others will be following in their ripeness. That's what it means to be first fruit. So if the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive, the supernatural has occurred. Jesus was crucified. Jesus died. Jesus was buried and Jesus was raised and his raised form. He was seen, heard, touched, spoken to and ascended. And if that is true, then understand that God not just creates a universe, but he steps into it. He steps into humanity in a very dramatic way for the purpose of displaying his power and not just his power. It's not like, look at me, look what I can do. It's his love. He steps into humanity to show his great power and his love for you. What do I mean by that? Out of love, he sends his son to earth. Out of love for you, he allows his son to be crucified. Out of love for you, Jesus' crucifixion is not an execution, but a substitution. And the penalty that I deserve and we deserve for our sins is placed upon Jesus. Out of love, Jesus is both raised to a new body and witnessed by his grieving disciples. Out of love for you, Jesus ascends to the Father. Out of love for you, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and Out of love for you, Jesus will return to take those who have died in the faith up to be with him and those who are alive in the faith to be with him for eternity. That is power, but it is power shaped by the love of God for you. So there are three transforming implications, I think, if you consider that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And the first is this. You cannot take Jesus lightly. You cannot take him lightly. 
If God raised him after three days of death, it is a miracle of divine power. And that would be a fact. But the implication is when Jesus talks, man, you better listen to his disciples and to you this morning. Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father but by me. That gets a lot of people angry. But that is not it's not the philosophy of it, but the person behind who said it. He's saying, you look to me to come to God, the father, you go through me. That is not to put down any philosopher, any philosophy or any religious leader or other religion. It's simply repeat what Jesus is telling his followers. Jesus is not a dead philosopher or a moral code writer like Aristotle, Socrates or Plato. Last time I checked, you can look up the quotations and the thought processes of those three philosophers. Last time I checked, though, they were still dead. And we go beyond that. Jesus' teaching are not just wise sayings, but they are true truth. His warnings on how we are to live are to be followed. His miracles are not just from an illusion point of view, but the blind really see, the lepers really heal, 5,000 are really fed and satisfied. So when he claims to be God, friends, either he's delusional or he is God. And I don't know any other options. Now, philosophers might raise some, you know, fine hair points. But it's, re- it's either he's fooling himself and the world or he really is who he claims to be. I call him God's only son, my only savior, my only hope for eternal life. And if you join us in the Sundays in May and through the rest of my time here at Bergen Park Church, we're just going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. And uh, walking right through it to get an understanding. Who is this person who was raised from the dead? Why should we be following him? What is it as we compare him to the rest of humanity that makes him different and divine? That's what we're going to be doing in the months ahead. And understand that as Jesus teaches us, he continues to give things to us that make us very uncomfortable. And we have to be willing to accept that if he is the risen Lord and what he says is true and we are to follow it, then be ready to go a little bit like this as you will get sweaty as he speaks. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of the one who can destroy the soul and the body in hell. Wow. Strong. Statements from the one who claims to be the son of God and my savior. God is love. But Jesus also says that he will have to punish the guilty like me. Because absolute holiness cannot mix with my sins. Now, I'm blessed because he has forgiven my sins. And I pray that you this morning would understand he is willing to forgive yours through the merits of his son's death on the cross. So the first thing that changes is you've got to change your view of Jesus. He's not to be taken lightly. The second thing that transforms in your life is you understand that uh, priorities begin to change big time. Big time, because God will become more important and your personal comfort become less important. We look at Jesus as an example of God's love, his compassion and his empathy demonstrated on every page of the Gospels. But it's not just his character. We understand his values. He tells us that loving God and 
loving others will be our highest values and that those will cost us dearly. It will show in the two most important measures of our daily lives. First important measure is we look at how we spend our time. We're given 24 hours. We're supposed to sleep for eight. That gives us 16. We have a family. We have our our work. We have all those other things. Where does he fit in? How do we live our lives and our schedule so it shows that he is the one we are following? The second thing I realize this is like a dinosaur is this thing. Any of you still use a checkbook? A few. Most of you are over 40. Okay. Uh, I I come across. I, I mean, I sat with a. A 30-something person in our church goes, I don't think I've written a check in about eight months. What? How do you do that? Takes me on the computer and shows me. Oh, oh. What happens if the electricity goes out? You lose your house! I just wanted to say that. Okay. Um, So we understand that those are the highest values. And it will show in our checkbooks. It'll show, or financial records or whatever you want to call it. And it'll show in our schedule. It means that sacrifices now will be rewarded by God now and later. It means that hardships count as a part of God's plan in our life so that we might be more like his son. It means that we look at the hardships of our life as building character. And that these let me experience some of what Jesus suffered on his cross. The value of our possessions are no longer things that I own, but treasures that I invest and employ to bring greater honor to God and not to myself. Have you noticed how a lot of things get transformed, not always for the better? I think these transform you for the better. But let me share an example. Twenty years ago, we moved uh, here to um, to Evergreen and there were two trends just going through the entire world or the, I guess, the United States at that time. And here they are, uh, baseball cards and beanie babies. Anybody, anybody, any of you ashamed to talk about your baseball card or collection or beanie babies? Are are any of you saying I hide them on my shelf or I put them in a storage box because it's going to come back? Beanie babies will return. I invested $125 into a leaf uh, collect a complete collection of 1994 uh, baseball cards. They're still in the cellophane. And, and we said, if we keep these long enough, daddy's got retirement. And, and so we did. And we hid them under our kids' beds. And, and, and they sat there for years. But we didn't realize what makes them valuable. It's not because they get old that they're valuable. Look at me. Okay. It's not because of their age. It's because of their scarcity. And Leaf just continued to print them by the gazillions so that there's so many out there. What cost me $110 now is worth $1,250. Yes. You laugh. I cry. All right. It is almost like, you know, we look at things where our priorities are. We're, we're wrong. Our values were wrong. And, and the value that was on them then is not the value that's put them on, that we put on them now. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes the value system of the, of the follower of Jesus. It's like someone sneaks into Nordstrom's late at night and changes all the price tags. 
So you go to the men's department and there's a Hugo Boss suit for 99 cents. Whoa! I'll get seven. I never wear suits, but I'll get them. But then you go and you realize someone changed the price on the digital potato peeler, too. $2,567. Things change in value when you are following Jesus. And his commandments to love God and love one another become of greatest importance. The finest, uh, third thing, final thing, is we have to understand that in this life, nothing is too broken, that it can't be fixed. And I do not mean that everything will be fixed in heaven, and it will. And I do not mean that every human disease and disability will be eradicated. I don't mean that. But friends, for 20 years, I've sat in my office and some of you have come in and shared your stories of guilt and shame, of pain, of abuse. And you look at how poorly humanity can treat one another, especially those who are there to care for us, and you shake your head. But for most of those people, that was not the end of the story. For most of those people, the end of the story has redemption to it. They, they understood that what they went through was not the final word, and they point to how God steps in to bring both a good life and eternal life to them. To the one who suffered, the good life is still out there. Now, I don't mean financially. I mean contributions to others. And so Paul prays for the Christians in Ephesus that they might know the hope of Jesus in their lives. The spiritual riches of Jesus in their lives and the great power of Jesus to those who place their trust in him. Hope, spiritual blessings, power. That's the good life because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. So Paul even, uh, you might say, he even flips what God does through our suffering. And he says in Romans 8, uh, verses 28 to 31, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And I sit with many people and they say, not yet. I haven't seen the good yet. But that's the promise that God, because he's good, brings about good. And one event that happens to all of us is death. We all die. But because the grave is empty and Jesus is alive, we understand that death is no longer the great enemy. It's not the end. The true enemy is the sins of this world and the one who is behind those sins. So here is the great promise of God. And it is, you know, it is up to you to, to receive it or deny it, reject it. But he says this life, this good life now, this eternal life forever is a gift to be given by God. And you have a choice. John chapter one, verse 12. Yes, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What we're getting at is we're out of the family of God. I know, you know, some people talk about all humanity being God's children. I'm not 
doubting that he's the creator. But what I am getting at is you can be uh, a wonderful human being and still out of the family of God. And the invitation is to all who use two words, believe and receive. Believe. You look at the resurrection. You look at the life of Jesus and you say, it's true. Now, that's intellectual assent. And I can do that very easily. Uh, Believe it or not, I did get through seminary. Okay, And as I did all the research, not the first one to do it, but my faith only grew through all of that. I believe that it's true. I believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. But he says, and receive. But to all who received him. Believe, receive. Meaning I not just know of what God is offering me, but I make it an offer I receive. It, it's, it's too simple. I was talking to somebody afterwards and said, well, what about all the good people yeah, you know, on earth, and aren't we supposed to do good work so we can get to heaven? I go, yeah, but you know, I tried that, and I still was disappointed. And I think I'm disappointed. This isn't what God feels about me. No. Believe, and receive. The simplest of all. Believe, and receive. You make the promise. Your promise that you have accepted in the depths of your soul, and you are saying. The grave is empty. Jesus is alive. And I live this life to bring honor to him. And he has given me eternal life. You might say this is where you start this morning. Easter 2017. I believed it. Today I wish to receive it. Make it personal make it mine that would be wonderful Um, Mel Blanc was the voice of the uh, every character of the Looney Tune cartoons that means uh, Porky Pig, Pepe Le Pew Daffy Duck uh, Bugs Bunny, Yosemite Sam Foghorn Leggett, it just goes on and on and on they were all his voice he dies in 1989 at the end of every cartoon, Porky Pig shows up and he stutters. Blah, 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 blah. That's all, folks, right? Come on, if you're over 40, you've seen those, all right? Uh, <clears throat> that's all, folks. Well, can you believe it? Sure enough, and this is just so cute, so funny. When he dies in, 18, in 1989, his will requests that his tombstone have inscribed on it. That's right. That's all, folks. And it does. You can see a picture of it. That's all, folks. And I just think it's a wonderful sense of humor, but there's maybe some philosophy in there, too. Like maybe that's all there is. There's nothing more. Evergreen resident and author Philip Yancey writes of a friend whose grandmother is buried in a very remote, very rural cemetery next to her Episcopalian church in rural Louisiana. And on her headstone, there's only one word. And on that word is not her name. It is not any characteristic of, of her life. It is not the date, you know, with a dash in between. The only word that is on her tombstone, which means only her family would recognize it, is this word, waiting. Waiting. I want to discover that graveyard. I want to go to that church. 
I want to look into that headstone and see if that's really true. Because that is the difference between one who believes and receives and one who lives life saying, well, I better get all I can because that's all, folks. And where are you this morning? If you believe and receive, you are waiting for God to fulfill all of his promises through Jesus Christ because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And you can become a child of God right now. We need to pray there. Let's stop. And let's ask God, both for believers and those who wish to be in the family of God, being called a child of God. Let's just pray about what it means for the grave to be empty and Jesus alive. Father, but to everyone, to all, who received him to those who believe in his name. He gave them the right to become the children of God. That means the good life here of a relationship unbroken with God and the eternal life with him that our souls long for. Father, I pray for the person who is considering Jesus right now. This would not be two hours to mark off so the routine starts tomorrow. I pray that person, those people would leave seriously, maybe completely too, believing and receiving. And Father, for all of us, The resurrection is just as important in August as it is in April. And as we follow him, it becomes even more dear, more cherished, of greater value to us that he is alive. That he is working in this world today. And he is coming back for us. It's transcendent. It's true. And God's people said,